Hello, everybody, and welcome to Pod Crash, the original podcast by the members of the band Mo. This is episode number seven. This week, we sit around and reminisce about the good old days, the early 90s in Buffalo, New York. We talk about our first two recordings, Fat Boy and Headseed, as well as all the gigs, clubs, and people who inspired us to make the music we did at the time. It's a pretty long one, so get yourself comfortable and sit back and enjoy all the weird-ass stories. Hey guys, welcome to Moe's Pod Crash number seven. Are we at seven already? Yes, sir. Seven. Yeah, this is Mo. I'm Rob Durhack. I'm here with Chuck Garvey. Yo. Uh, there you go. <laughs> Good morning. Jim <laughs> <Ian> Lachlan. Howdy. <laughs> and that's it. I don't know. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Al Schneer. <laughs> <laughs> it's the new background. It's confusing. <laughs> yeah. I'm just blending right in. Right. So here we are. Um, number seven. And we're right on time. No COVID this week, which is wonderful. Today, we are going to be addressing the topic of our first two re recordings. Personally, this is going to be all uh, a lot of uh, information for me that I lost. <laughs> but uh, recording one, Fat Boy and recording the other one is uh head seed that we did before we were a signed band and we were living up in buffalo uh making our way in the world <laughs> and you took know. everything we got took everything we got um and and just to to sort of tie tie it together i guess the reason we decided to to do the the album rundown for both of these um was because we recorded both of these records at the same studio same guy, same, you know, it was all the same, it was the same period for us. And it felt like, you know, these, these were companion records and, you know, our memory is pretty sketchy when it comes to both of these. It feels <laughs> like one time, it feels like it was one record sort of, you know, when we think back. Um, so we thought, you know, why not, why not just touch on the, the whole thing and, uh, and see what we could scrape from our uh from the archives and <laughs> see what we could we could remember um as we as we kind Who of run down through gray these. matter yeah news to me man <laughs> <laughs> you were there Chuck. actually could be uh vinnie i actually i don't even know if we need you for this well <laughs> i was gonna say I, i'm not on either i'll just uh <laughs> right it would have were... made sense to get a hold of ray schwartz to he probably has better memories than any of us for the first album. Uh, for but Vinny was Vinny was also there during that time. Uh, was in there. fact, I think one of I didn't hang out with him though. <laughs> I did. did you hang out with him. <laughs> who, who here Jim hung out with Vinny during that time? Maybe I did. Jim all the time. We actually played quite a bit together yeah. during that time as well. S X. What's it called? S six. What's the name of the Essex pub? Street, Street Pub. Yeah. Pub. No, well, we used what? to hang out in basements and like yeah. Vin, Vin and I, Lisbon and my neighbor at home on Long Island was one of Vin's, you know, hung out in the, with, uh, Rub and Drew and Vin and 
uh, Steve and all those guys. So I was, Joe, I knew Vin before I met you guys. So was this, were you already playing in Sonic at this point? Oh yeah. Or? Okay. You were. He was. Yeah. And he's weaseled himself into acoustic forum somehow. <laughs> <laughs> Playing drum beats for back bluegrass bands. That's right. Money. No, I think Rolf asked me. I may have weaseled my way in, but I think he asked me. Who knows? Or maybe I said, you know what One this band needs? One man weasel is another drummer. man's ass. <laughs> what, wait, what'd you say? I said, you know what this band needs? A drummer. Right. And the rest of them didn't even know it until you showed up and started playing and they had to split their money with you. College kids don't know how to dance to a washboard, so you needed a drummer. That's true. Man. Right, right. But, but that wasn't, that wasn't enough. Really so you had to add, actually had a second drummer. Wait, what? Say that? I said it wasn't enough, so they actually had to add a second drummer. So Corey started playing with him, too. Did they? Oh my no. God. No, not before. You guys never had two drummers in acoustic no. uh, Just in I, I really enjoyed that. That was uh, that was a lot of fun, but that's that's really neither here nor there. So, um, so one, but but am I mistaken? Wasn't our was it the record release party for Headseed? Was that the Space Helmet night? Yes, right. I don't know. And but it was also like we we did the early Wasn't show that Halloween. Sonic, Wasn't that, was that, Halloween that was show? actually the Space Helmets was Halloween. The record release okay. was the game show thing. Oh uh, right, we did a game show. Right, yeah. I I felt like we did the game show alone. We didn't have okay. Didn't that wasn't the with opening for um, Sonic by the time we released. Headset. Yeah, we were. Right. Okay. The right, helmet so and red jumpsuit or union suits was <laughs> opening for Sonic. Yeah, that was, was awesome. That was, oh my god! Because Joe was did wearing we the helmet. Suits for, we did. So we were dressed like Marvin the Martian. Yes. <laughs> I don't even recall that being the case. And See, we, that's that's why we're doing the pod crash. And when we left, so, there was like sixty or seventy helmets just covering the floor of Broadway Joe's. <laughs> All right, well let's let's talk about the helmets for a second. So, so Rob I were, was, I think you were delivering flowers at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a I was a uh, floral arrangement delivery man. That was a specialist job I've ever had. Actually, I loved it. And I had freaking health insurance doing it. Floral transportation thing. technician. And, uh, well, you know, we don't have to get into that. Yeah. So I think during one of the times I was supposed to be out delivering, I finished and then I, I think I picked up, uh, Becca and we decided to go to a, it was either a Goodwill or a Sal, I think it was a Salvo army. Mm -hmm. And they were selling in the, <laughs> we walked in and it was like, they were selling these, there was an old toys, a toy manufacturing place that sold, that made like, you know, the cheap ass plastic toys, blow mold stuff and all that kind of stuff in Buffalo that went out of business. And part of their inventory were that like all these old toy, cheap white space helmets with these little red communicators that went around. It definitely looked like a Buck Rogers type helmet, you know, right. and they were selling for nothing. So I, I just like got out a quarter and fucking went to a payphone and called somebody and you called me. Them. You're right. Like, yeah. Can I can I spend you know money to do this for the? Right. Yeah. You told me about it. And you were like, so right. Yeah. Like I'm at the I'm at the Goodwill and there's there they have these space helmets and there's literally like hundreds of them. Like, should yeah. we spend bad money on this? <laughs> yeah. And I think maybe I spent like fifty or sixty bucks. Yeah. It was, was there like, were there were like fifty cents. Like, do you need me to come and you know, pick them up? Or... Super cheap. Yeah. So we got them home. 
and some of them were dusty. We washed them all off and then made these like Mo stickers with like a spiral design and put one on the side of all of them and uh, by hand. And we just, I, I think, I don't think we sold them. I think we just handed them out to people yeah. at the door. You got yeah, one at the door. Just, I mean, it didn't occur to us to actually. You know, it was like we, bobblehead we could, night. <laughs> it was like free, yeah. free helmets like and mushroom tea. <laughs> okay, that's another scenario. That was that was a show. Was that was that, that wasn't the same show? No, no. no so this no, was like a third, show. a third epic Broadway Joe's. Is it? Are we not talking about the album here? Well, it's it's this it's this era. So I think, it's, I think this right. is all relevant. These were these are the shows that sort of you know were tied to the music that we were making at this this time. So I think it's important that people get a sense of what we were doing, what we were up to. <laughs> so I don't know if I'm mixing up two scenarios, but was the mushroom tea gig? Um, the same time that I snapped the headstock off of my base. That's a different, that's that a, was different. a different, it was the, <laughs> so there was yeah, one epic gig. Yeah. There was the, the tea time was when the, where the, was when the, uh, the stage was on the left side and yeah. then they used, and then they put it in the back. And when you were in the back, after they moved the stage, that's where Rob, you um, snapped your base. <laughs> the mushroom tea night, from what I remember, was we had we literally were just we had our our manager was standing at the door with a freaking like five gallon bucket of homemade ice a mushroom tea and was just like giving everyone who bought, who paid to come in as they came in a fucking cup of mushroom tea. Yeah, at, at, at an right. at a, at an establishment, not just, you know, it wasn't like a private party. No. It was just like, okay, this seems totally, you know, within <laughs> the realm of something that should be done. What are the steps to do imitations on that? We used to do it at almost every Sonic show for a while. It was like, it wasn't yeah, just a one time or we were just doing it all the time. Yeah. I remember so, having a, I had a strobe light in my kick drum that was just mm -hmm. going off and like a switch to turn it on and off. And the other I thing think... I remember is the last song Chuck taking off his guitar and he just walked off the stage and <laughs> every, and, and Tim, uh, Mike Tinsman and Derek were like, hey, man, are you going to do another one? And Chuck was like, no fucking way. And just fucking split. <laughs> <laughs> it's because uh, Rob had like a, a whoop, whoop, whoop. Oh, yeah. Uh, pedal. No, that was Al because I did the same thing. And and the whole stage was like going like like it was like uh, <laughs> yeah you it was crazy that, Rob you had that DOD envelope filter for a while yeah. I had a Mutron well back yeah, then yeah. I don't know if you had an actual Mutron I think you just had, <laughs> like I don't know if we had any actual like I think in reality what happened was somebody just like hit a note and was fucking around trying to get psychedelic. <laughs> and i think it probably like to the sober person was just like Pew! <laughs> but i think like it just like Pew! went into like auditory hallucinations for half of us anyway and i definitely did the same thing that chuck did i was like nope i'm fucking done and i think maybe the show lasted 45 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> That's the other thing. I, I think we thought we were up there for like two and a half hours. And I think literally like the freaking shrooms kicked in and we were like, nope, we're done. <laughs> That's the one thing I cannot even have no idea like what was played or even how long that show possibly could have been. Well, the, I, my only I, like my 
my recollection, the only thing that I have like visually still like burned in my brain is being on on my knees at my pedal board just turning knobs yeah yeah and, i think that's and what and laugh it like having that like uncontrollable like belly laugh that you get <laughs> i was laughing so hard like i was good right and i remember looking up at you rob and you were just like you had this like look like you were like scared shitless at the same time. yeah i was <laughs> and i couldn't stop laughing <laughs> i think you i think like some of us went into it with different ideas of what uh, a mushroom tea show should be like <laughs> i think between the um the strobe light and you i think you guys thought this would be like a, a butthole surfers experience yeah <laughs> and the rest of us i think me and chuck thought it would be like a nice cool vibe that we would just kind of and i think it just collided at some point within like the first <laughs> half hour to hour yeah of the show yeah. there were some there's some really really bad um like um noises yeah because the 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 chords and everything were, were not working so they would just like crackle and do making like a really bad noise <laughs> and that was the thing that's that was the thing that made me go off <laughs> this is just like bringing up so many other memories of broadway joe's like there was one yeah. gig where <laughs> i i had a bass and i didn't have any extra strings and, and we played till you were done. Yeah, played till all my strings were gone. <laughs> and that show ended early too. Because I used to just beat the living shit out of my bass. Like I would just like rip at, rip at strings when I was slapping and doing that stuff. And then there was another show where Matt, what's his name, Matt Drost? Yeah. Yeah. He was doing our sound. He insisted on being our sound guy for mm -hmm. that show. And he just had no clue what he was doing and it just like was <laughs> feedback just like blasting the entire stage and he wouldn't he wouldn't fix it and i got so pissed i just took my bass up by the by the body and drove it straight down stock first into the stage and it just snapped the neck off and then i was just like that's it I don't own another bass <laughs> have no money now this is happening. The, and you yeah, did it like so three times right too, because I'm playing. I remember playing. Show's and, over, folks. <laughs> and you lifted up like whack, and I was like, "Huh, that was weird." And then whack, and I'm like, "Um, whack, bang." I was like, "All right, we're done. <laughs> Let's start drinking." Yeah, start or keep. Yeah, start <laughs> right. That, one of those shows definitely was where we came up with the term "no refunds." oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, good thing that worked out i just have this image now of drost sitting behind a soundboard in just boxers and a bathrobe because i don't know yeah. that i've ever seen him i don't know out of the scrapyard and that was always that's all he wore it was just boxers it was like freezing outside and he'd just hang out in a bathrobe and boxers so this was our life back in <laughs> the early 90s in Buffalo, when we decided to record, well, actually, Fat Boy was before any of this stuff happened because that was with Ray drumming in the band. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was, I, I mean, That's just so a little background. Oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah. Sorry. So a little background was like we weren't recording initially. Everyone just tried to make a record so they could actually have publicity, essentially, since there was no Internet and a record meant a tape, essentially. So like you get a tape made. Yes. Uh, we'd save our money from gigs 
I guess. I don't, I don't even recall exactly how we did it at first, but, and, uh, do a cheap, a, a recording as cheaply as possible. And it wasn't even like, you know, a lot, some bands were like, we'll shop this demo and stuff. And I don't think that even entered our radar. We just wanted to make a, make a recording of our songs. Right. Well, there was, I mean, if you, re- you recall at the time, there was a pretty, pretty strong, aesthetic for indie bands and for you know that whole diy movement was happening and there wasn't really a jam band scene at that time but we were very much surrounded by bands that embraced that that diy sort of aesthetic and and we did too we're like yeah we're gonna make a record and release it ourselves and do all the artwork and you know and make our own mailers and would we're broke (laughs) Well, right. And that's part of it, too. It's all like, but you did everything yourself. It was like this cottage industry of like, you know, we made our own flyers. You make your own mailers, like everything. And everything was done on like Xerox machines. at And it was fun. Kinko's. It was great. I mean, it's all part of the creative process. Like we did all of that, all of that shit ourselves. We we did, uh, we uh, did a four, four track recording before this. So, and that yeah. was the first that was the first thing I had ever heard of of the band the the yeah. code name weasel shark recording. that's right um and and Sam brought that to Oneonta when I was there and I heard it and there was four songs on it maybe something like that and and I remember hearing that and thinking god damn I want to play in a band like that not play a bunch of cover songs or play in the kinds of bands that I had been playing in, but never thinking that, you know, shortly I'd be moving to Buffalo and playing in a band with you guys. Back then. The Buffalo music scene was a lot different than what yeah. you were doing in Oneana too. It was like, Oh, for sure. There was a whole, um, like counterculture of all these bands playing, uh, and basically supporting each other. Mm-hmm. It was uh, and it didn't necessarily then. matter, uh, exactly what, the music was as long as it was uh in some way as long as you weren't like ripping off anybody and uh as long as you were doing your own thing and you had a modicum of talent you know this group of of, of musicians and artists and stuff were all sort of in this scene and you know we might talk shit about each other a little bit but you know we all definitely <laughs> um were supporting each other and we had a you know we had a strong strong hate for uh like Vinny's band like bands that were just uh <laughs> yep and you know cover it was bands. it's for for cover bands especially you know like were, the way stuff. we saw it was like they were just appealing to the lowest common denominator for a cash grab uh and we were trying to actually do art and um be part of like this culture so vice is has you know all these different documentaries and one of them is called the dark side of the 90s and one of the episodes was about seattle and grunge and i'm watching this thing and i'm thinking the two sub pop record Mm -hmm. guys if they lived in buffalo buffalo would have been seattle like yeah it was the same thing the same exact thing like the amount of bands that played in one night in buffalo on a freaking wednesday in the early 90s was crazy you can go there had to be 10 bands a night every night of the week yeah there's i i've I, like i keep coming across this thing and like i've watched pearl jam documentaries and and in in and you know fo- like followed their trajectory over the years and i always see like there's a parallel somehow between like what we've done and 
and what was happening in Buffalo and what was happening in in the Pacific Northwest at the same time. And I think it's it's and it's also similar. Like there's kind of a similar vibe, even though obviously Seattle is a, a little bit more metropolitan than than buffalo there's still like a very much a blue collar working class vibe uh to it a lot of rain yeah (laughs) seattle yeah Yeah, and buffalo i mean and then we just had harsher winters that was like really the kind of the only difference you know if if there was just one local record company like a label a local buffalo label that actually like you could print 500 albums and and they would actually shop it somewhere, like mm-hmm. regardless of where it was. You know what I mean? Whether it was mail order or anything, it would it would have made so much of a difference for that for the Buffalo music scene, which was yeah, I've always said was amazing at that time. Unfortunately, nobody with the right vision and amount of capital to get it going ever stood stepped in or stepped up. Right. I that. feel like like maybe Ani started to do that with righteous babe didn't they didn't they yeah but I mean, it was just it was just a few different artists yes but she yeah was that, very that was after and, we were like she started righteous babe from what i recall and it was all basically it was just her own it, it own was just stuff, right. her own stuff you know and mm-hmm. it did really well and then at one point they started to handle other bands with, yeah like that was yeah. that was way past the prime of the Buffalo music scene. Yeah. Sure. It also wasn't specifically for Buffalo. She was, you know, signing New York city artists and right. Okay. But I mean, you know, to make a note, I mean, she did this all on her own. She didn't, you know, there is no person with a big capital. She made the capital and did it, you know, which is unbelievable in itself. Well, not unbelievable, but impressive in itself. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Anyway, you know, we, we do digress here. (laughs) it's a little bit oh yeah but but and then also at you know at that time so ani defranco is just coming into her own the goo goo dolls are they don't have power ballads or hits on the radio at this point i mean they were very much like a you know garage rock band when they were first getting started and then fell into good graces with the replacements and paul westerberg and you know kind of followed that path before they broke out and started having hit songs and i mean it was and and like you said there was all of these other great indie bands this diverse pool of talent there it was just a great time to be a band in buffalo and be a part of that music scene well if you look and at the every- songs on on fat boy and Headseed on those two records they're very much indie style songs there's no you know there's some clear-cut songs like like saint augustine um moth was a little more straightforward but a lot of those know. songs were just kind of this amalgam of of everything that we all listened to at the time, I guess. Sure. There's definitely a, a strong ska influence <laughs> with us. The the funk stuff that we were listening to, for sure. Uh, <laughs> and then, and I, uh, like, I love all the, the hybridization of, of everything that, that crept in. Like, like having Hava Nagila in there, for example. <laughs> or, and, and I think about those things, but having Hava Nagila, you know, played as... Like sort of a klezmer slash ska thing, you know, that then goes into, you know, a funk rock song. Um, 
it's you know and i i love it and then even then when you look at like flow for example where it goes from you know the 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 jazz swing thing to the the heavy chorus on it and the funk breakdown and it it really does speak to like how all over the map we were in terms of what we were listening to and what we were being influenced by and what we thought was okay to do not only in the course of a show but in the context of one, one single song <laughs> yeah so when we recorded fat boy we had no i mean these are songs are all originally on fat boy we had no inclit well first of all there wasn't even there was no scene nor a term jam band or anything like that correct and um the only jam band that was on the forefront of anybody or most most people's at least at least in our area or most of the country was the grateful dead so that wasn't even something that was like really on our radar we were just like influenced by like what we thought was a, a lot of it was just like this would be funny as fuck to do right you know this <laughs> this would be funny uh essentially i feel like everything we did was like one big performance art piece you know, like from the writing of the songs, the playing of the songs, making of the posters and, you know, every everything that we did was all part of it. It was just like creating this piece of art that was like the whole thing was a performance. And it was exciting because it was all we didn't know where it was going, you know, when we were recording it, too. Like we didn't have any expectations, you know. What was the expectation no. of doing Fat Boy? You know, like we would finally think I want to hear the song sound better. You know, that yeah. was like the extent, right. extent of that it. That was the way for for us to get gigs too. Right, to have, to like, have that the ultimate recording of yeah. that. But you know, we could put down that perfect version, get the yearbook photo of that song, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, we were recording on this is pre digital uh, recordings you know, pre-digital tape that I, you know, it was, so we were recording like old school, reel to reel, uh, analog tape, 16 track, 15, <laughs> we called it 15 track because I believe it was actually track 16 was actually busted. Yep. I, that's probably how Andrew, uh, the, um, Owner Andrew of the machine Busher. and essentially the, uh, engineer and mixer of the album, Andrew Busher, right? Yep. Um, was probably able to afford it to buy the thing but he was um he he was i, I mean to, i guess I'm, i don't know if it's digressing but uh what was he he was actually the goo, goo dolls um was their, he guitar? their guitar tech at the he time was their guitar tech that's right so, so he, he used to work cash. at top shelf which was the vintage music vintage guitar shop downstairs from his apartment and um he had a one bedroom or a two bedroom apartment upstairs from this guitar shop also, that's and also where he had set up a 16 track, sorry, 15 track, multi track <laughs> recording setup, you know, in this two bedroom apartment on a city street in Buffalo. The dude where, was where a we savant. made both of those records. Yeah. Yeah. He was also, he was, he was definitely ahead of his time. Yeah. Too. I mean, he was, he was a very smart dude. Uh, I remember he was a big Who fan and, uh, he pushed us and drove us and really helped guide. I mean, I had no idea how to make, how to record a multi-track record. You know, we had no idea what we were doing and it was a good thing that we had him driving at that time. He had his control room in like a small little office space. Yeah. And I, I don't, I'm trying to not paint this as like, you know, like when I say office space, it was just a room that was probably labeled as an office. It was probably a closet. It was, I was going to yeah. say, it was kind of like the mud room. 
of a like you'd walk up the stairs, go in the door to the apartment, and directly to the left was where his. There was nothing glamorous about this place at oh, all. No. It was <laughs> oh my God. it was just as shitty as any other freaking Buffalo apartment that any of us lived in. Right. And the Actually, living room, dining room. More of the palatial accommodations in Buffalo. Here, here's anybody. here's a, a way to sum it up. He had an old tube television, and on the television in the bottom right corner was traced in permanent marker the characters from Mystery Science 3000. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, this Every show like, you watched looked like Mystery Science yeah. Theater 3000 because it was on the TV. It's just permanently on the TV. And it was across the street from Mighty Taco, baby. And that's the extent of what I remember. <laughs> um, so another another interesting fact about fat boy we talked about ray for a bit and i don't think i knew this going into the record that ray ray had decided that he was going to be leaving buffalo and quitting the band at the end of the semester we had just barely finished tracking his parts when he told us that and we didn't even finish mixing the record and Ray Ray left the band and Ray had quit the band before the record was even done before we finished mixing it and Jim joined the band before we released the record and I don't know if we were still working on it still mixing it like during that process but there's a transition in there where I know like Jim joined the band before we released it yeah. and Ray left just at basically just after he finished recording but I think I want I think Ray might have did Ray come back for the record release party that I, I, I can't remember. I couldn't tell you I, I, you know just a, an interesting transition from yeah, I, from Ray to like Jim I feel like uh, we did know he was leaving. I, I don't recall it being like a surprise. Oh yeah, I like and I, I don't mean it wasn't like he withheld it. I, I, I just my my memory of it was that maybe or maybe going into the recording or when we first started planning for it and we were saving up the money, I like it didn't uh, occur to me that we weren't just going to keep playing in the band and stay in Buffalo forever. I don't know. <laughs> well, it had to have been finished recording because that's what you gave me to learn. Like that was the first. So I had seen you guys play at Essex street. And the first time I think, I, I think it was, I just had seen you guys once and I got really, really drunk. Surprise. <laughs> and and uh, I remember being the biggest thing that hit me was like, y'all were the first uh, bar band that I watched play in Buffalo that actually had like a dynamic level. Like there are actually <laughs> really quiet parts to the songs, you know, stuff that would bring down like in uh, that coffee song, that coffee tune, you know, it gets gradually louder. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And all that stuff. And the, you know, I was like, oh my God, these guys are really good. And thank God you never, you didn't remember it or put it together because I came up after the show and was just like hammered, you know, <laughs> and like, you guys, I was that guy for <laughs> that night for you guys. And then it all clicked, um, you know, and I, I had first gotten in touch with, uh, in touch with you about drumming. And then it, it was a while because I had talked to Al on the phone and then I had a, I was going to Europe for like six weeks over the summer because, you know, it was the end of the semester and you were like, yeah, we're not really doing anything. We have this, you know, record that we're working on or whatever. So it'll be fine. And then I came back and then I hadn't heard anything for like, you know, and I was like, hey, man, I'm 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 back in the country and <laughs> like what, I'm back up in Buffalo. Like what's going on? And and I didn't get a call back out for a while. Jail. Yeah, and then, <laughs> we're like, who? 
alcohol being, <laughs> I got my hands on the tape. And that's when I was like, oh my, like I remember just the bass intro to Grafenberg and I was like, oh, like I almost went to get my bass first. <laughs> like, wow, I got to figure that out. All right, wait, I got to learn this stuff to play. And I had, I had no, I didn't listen to this. I get, you know, at the time I listened to like metal and jazz and classical music. Perfect. Like I didn't listen well, to this guy. changed now. I, <laughs> I didn't. Whether you've grown. Yes, exactly. <laughs> now I listen to different types of metal and jazz and classical music. <laughs> Sometimes all three at the same time. <laughs> I was, it was it, like, it was, I didn't know, like there were songs like Grafenberg and stuff. Like I didn't know how to play like flow. And I was like, what? I can't, I don't know what he's doing really. Cause Ray had a very unorthodox. <laughs> Yeah. Very, yeah, he was a very quirky drummer. Yeah, I loved I loved playing with Ray. He, yeah. I was just learning how to play bass, and I had no formal uh, training at all. And he was sort of the same way with the drums. And he would just be like, "I think you should do this, and I'll do that," you know. And it would all we would kind of come up with these things that nobody would probably think that is good, or but somehow would just like work out, and we could figure it out together. And it was fun playing with them. I, I learned a lot. I, I developed my style playing with his drums. Probably early. probably vice versa. You probably evolved together, you know, in, in that way that the parts synced up or locked locked in. Yeah, that I mean, that completely. Ha I mean, because I uh, so much of the stuff um, after playing for a while and then recording head seat and everything like there was so many changes, not changes, just stuff that I learned how to do to play like with Rob's bass lines. You know, like like Rebubula. Well, I remember first writing it and having to learn a, to play a paradiddle between my right foot and my left hand. You know, because that just is what sort of connected with what Rob was doing and in my right. head at least at the time. And Ray, like if you listen to Fat Boy, you'll hear all this two hands on the hi hat thing. Yeah, you mm -hmm. know he does that all the time and. In my even head, even in flow and stuff, like even in songs that, yeah, like, it, like that, he, rather than just swinging it, he was going to get 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 you know, like playing two. the triplet thing, yeah. And in my head, it was that was always like the disco thing, so I like hated having two <laughs> hands on the hot, like doing rolls. Yeah, me so too. I never played like, that way. This is so cheesy, so that's what I tried yeah. to do the same stickings that he did on different, you know, so w like flow, I switched to still doing a roll, but between the snare and the hi-hat. Like but for him, it wasn't disco, you know, it was like, it was completely fucking weird. But it was also that thing where you have to switch which hand is hitting the snare. And I was like, right. ah! Right. <laughs> but that was the thing that was, you know, so this is like, you know, the catalyst, you know, this is like the, what we were tr attempting to do we didn't want to set like we didn't want it to swing you know we didn't want it to be like oh this is we didn't want to bought we, we didn't want anyone to be like easily say oh just play this kind of thing that somebody you know else did here everything that we did was like you know it, there was nothing like super elegant about it but it was all you know all came from a place of like let's try to invent something here let's put these two different sounds together and not fucking have it be like it wasn't designed to have like another musician come in and say and know what they should be doing right you know? <laughs> it was it was designed to be just only you know us being able to play and sound like this and that was like that was sort of like what we wanted the band to be it didn't really foresee the drummer quitting when we <laughs> <laughs> well i mean it carried over through to head seed like that was you know, I remember when we first wrote Moth, I, my, my, my thought was like, all right, I'm not going to play a downbeat in this song. <laughs> <Ever>. <laughs> not till the chorus. The verses, no downbeat. Like, 
everything's going to be offs. I think that came after Headseed, but the song? Yeah. I mean, we didn't put it on the record. Oh, that's what I'm saying. I think I think it might be on the next one or the Yeah, it's on uh No Doy. Really? We didn't record it on No shit. Joy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there are a couple of songs that got um, re-recorded. Re well, I know but. we didn't record Rebubula. I don't know. When we did, we didn't have Rebubula when we did. Um, no, not, but it was it was written when I was in the band. I mean, like. Yeah, but well, we I remember. Yeah, we, uh, in we the were working on that in Albany. in Albany. Yeah. Moth may not have even been worked on until after. The, like, I don't think we had the luxury of not putting a song on the album. I don't think we picked and chose. Yeah. Right. That's why I'm like. The album, because there was. Yeah. There's repeats from, from Fat Boy onto here, right? On Just Yoda a little. Just Yoda a little. Yeah. Yoda a little got re-recorded. And then from Headseed, we re-recorded St. Augustine and something else. Mexico. Was it? No. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. um, let's see. Akimbo. It was Akimbo. It might have just been St. Augustine. Did Akimbo get re-recorded on something? Spine got re-recorded. There Spine you go. Other song. That that's was why other. you're here. But yeah. that, yeah, that's a Fat Boy song. So that yeah. went on No Doy or? Yeah. Okay. I went on no doy. But it's, it's so, kind of cool. Like if you look at the track listing for both of these, we basically play all of these songs. You know, yeah. everything from Headseed is still in rotation. Going back to Fat Boy, we play just about everything. Uh, there's a couple of things that, you know, may have gotten shelved. Just um, Battle of Benny Hill. But, you know, but all of these. Every single thing on Headseed is still in our regular rotation. Yeah. That's right. Heavy. That's pretty cool. I don't know if that's cool or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was talking about point. it with Brenda last night, I think, Brenda and Kieran, and and just how we still play so many of the original songs and how they're, <laughs> you not only play them, but they're staples, and they're also still, as far as I can tell, like fan favorite. Right. You know, those first, like, three records, I think, even going into No Doy, just have so many songs that we you know that they're they're like our four show rotation song but i, I you know I, I don't i don't find a problem with that part of the interesting thing to me is that i still enjoy playing a lot of the songs i mean i have the you know the somewhat luxury of well i used to do that what vinny's doing on these songs and now i do something completely different so it's, right. you know it was kind of like everything was new again when I came back into the band because now I was playing a completely different instrument and listening to Vin butcher all my drum lines. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I kind of, I did the... Uh, you just made them fucking in time and make sense. <laughs> right. Straightened everything way out. You did straighten a lot of shit out. Like, yeah. Well, he also lent like... Not when we wanted it to be straight. Right, of course. Like, like so going back to the whole thing was like, you know, Ray and I had a vibe together where like stuff didn't necessarily have to be in time. Right. You know, we just <laughs> kind of somehow knew and it sounded fucked up to people, but we would always like be quasi locked in with each other. So like, yeah, I mean, there was stuff that like we started playing it with other drummers and with you and... Like, no, that's not how it goes. And just repeatedly saying it until, like, if I can went the way that you wanted it to go. <laughs> I can't play. I, I just give up on, like, it, it sounding, having this, like, fucked up turnaround or something. Right. Until I was, until I could learn how to, like, express musically, yeah. you know, 
or, or you know, rhythmically how I yeah. wanted it to go instead of just like trying to, you know, tell you what color this change should be. <laughs> Why you're wrong. I, I just remember like, you know, doing like Timmy Tucker, um, writing it, the baseline and just like really like feeling like I was discovering something like completely new, you know, and we're going to do this whole, you know, like this, it, to me, it was just like this whole, like I, I had just, I had just fucking sailed across the Atlantic with, you know, and, and fucking discovered America, America, you know, <laughs> that, that was what it was like in my head. And now it's just like, it's just a fucking simple slap line that, you know, <laughs> It's a lot of already uh, lived upon. Yeah. But at the time, you know, I was, I, I thought I was fucking, you know, completely breaking ground on something because I just had such a limited knowledge of what had been done in the past, <laughs> but it felt great. I mean, like doing these recordings felt amazing. Writing. I remember like writing a lot of those or, or the songs for head seed. And like now when we write a song, if we loop apart, you know, we'll loop apart for like, five minutes and then everybody will sort of be like all right i know i know what i'm doing i know what i'm doing yeah. back then we'd loop a song for like 35 minutes oh yeah <laughs> like just for three days yeah and just keep playing that <laughs> the know, first groove over and over and over and over again and then be like oh no and you can hear everybody we really like, wanted it to be right switching yeah and everyone's like ah, oh, okay no this is wait this feels better like you could hear it back we then were trying it was so, so long we were trying so hard to not have it sound like anything else and that was sort of i don't know i think that's why we spent so much time working on tiny parts like everyone would be like you know they'd come up with a, a thing and then you know somebody would be like yeah but that sounds like you know neil young's doing it there or whatever you know right. like and even though it probably was appropriate for the part but we would just keep going back and trying to find these little holes to put something in in the part that just no one would think of doing we had that luxury. Right, right. We all we had the luxury of free time. That's what I was yes. I was thinking. Like we had those endless weeknights where we could drink a shitload of beer and play a part for two hours with reckless abandon and just get lost in it and it it felt okay. And you didn't have anywhere else to be other than there doing that and then come back and do it again tomorrow and then keep doing it. Some of us and, were supposed to be taking classes and passing. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd given up by then. I, yeah. But I, I think to to some degree it all all of those all of those hours, all of those miles, all that time that we put in helped us to become the live band that we are. It it helps us to have the patience that we have it helps us to be able to jam the way that we do to transition the way that we do because we've put in so much time playing so so much of this mundane music together <laughs> or what would seemingly like be a mundane part but like finding finding some enjoyment in that of just of like the repetitive work and it's just kind of like training for an ultra marathon or something or putting in our 10,000 hours long before we knew that we had to. We just did it because that was the we, we I, I don't know. It was like the work that we were all kind of into doing at the time. I mean, it's what we did. We, you know, scrap rod, scrap yard rehearsals were three, four hours long. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, we didn't get together for an hour and run over the next show. You know, I don't even think we like rehearse songs that we considered written because we were playing so whenever we rehearsed it was like a writing kind of jam session like brent black came out of just us jamming basically and and coming up with i remember i had that stupid ping pong snare when i had the two electric drums that like i did never used live i only used them 
<laughs> when we'd rehearse. And, you know, I, so I was doing that, and then the bass line came in, like, the whole... Well, I had this whole, I had this whole bass line together that didn't make any sense, like, with no drums or rhythm behind it. Like, I, I remember playing it for Chuck, and he was just like... Because I, I had this idea of it sounding like a Steely Dan song when I was writing it and singing it, and it just was definitely not that by the time we were done with it. <laughs> no. I just like doing the, some of the, some of the, like, I just, you know, it, it just didn't match up to what I had in my head. I just, it, it matched my vocals to the words to the song. And then we just played that it happens. for hours. And just, yeah. And then it's just like, okay, well, by the time we're done with this, it's not a Steely Dan song by any means. And yeah. It's probably a good thing. Probably. Because it's a Mo song. <laughs> well, you know, going back to where we would just try to make it not sound like anything we had heard, you know, I mean, to think about like the actual recordings of this stuff, I have such a limited memory of like what it was like to be there. I remember Jim's shit being set up in the dining area, yeah. you know, I, I'm using the term loosely because I don't think it was ever used as a dining area, right. but on his, his, what seemed like a massive kit to us at the time uh, in that room. And then I feel like my bass amp was like at the bottom of the stairs maybe? yeah it was in the stairwell somewhere mm -hmm. in the stairwell yeah. yeah and everything was you know it was technically it was all separated yep all the stuff amp was, was separated like kitchen? a regular studio would be except you know it was like blankets thrown over shit and stuff and right and i remember i had a guitar amp that was i think in the living room and again had a blanket over it at one point i think like the first record i had the bass man that i was playing through and the second one i had my first boogie that i was yeah, playing you did. Through. i remember the boogie and that wound up i remember it being it was in the way like every time we had a cut from the living room into the the studio closet and my amp was like sitting right there and just having to pass over it every time hey al so yeah. i i bought that basement in New Hartford, when I went to school in B Buffalo and then I sold it, we didn't, we've, or we've, we figured out that I had bought your old oh amp. You bought, yeah, you had my old speaker cabinet, I think, right? So, the one that I sawed in half? Yes. Yeah, so yeah. And when <laughs> Rob and Gray and I, when we started playing, I had that yep. at school. You had, you had your or something like that yeah i was yeah. just thinking about the the layout like as rob rob uh was recalling the other thing i remember too is we because this was the second story apartment and it was on it was on hurdle avenue and so it was right right on the uh, you know kind of a main street i remember we put a mic out on the sidewalk at one point oh yeah time ed vocals yeah right did the time ed vocals and then but then we also didn't we do some did we do some of the the benny hill like didn't we add like stuff to benny hill that was that was like like uh andrew or someone had a, a vacuum or something like that and we were just like running like that and we were making sounds we were trying to make it sound like the battlefield but yeah I we were out on the street when we did that as well no we were just in the in the just running like around the ripping. apartment yeah there's okay. a there's a whole I mean, that's that's ending you know we're we're going back to fat boy with that right yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, and, uh, again because it's like one blur to that was me, like part of rage coordination and then he had um his girlfriend who's his wife at the time come in and do all the moaning on dr graffenberg for us thank you dr graffenberg I thought that was Coulter's girlfriend. That's before <laughs> my time.
<laughs> yes. Uh, ex, yeah. Um, Julie. So. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So yes. she did. She also did something. She also did some uh, moaning on the record. Maybe. You know what? I think Christine did it. I think we recorded. Um, oh, no. She recorded. That was when we did. Uh, Ray had that song. Talk to me about Elvis. Oh, oh. <laughs> he did the moaning on that. And then on. Uh, yeah. Graffenberg. <laughs> Coulter's girlfriend came in and did. Uh, Thank you, Dr. Graffenberg. But I had I had talked to me about Elvis stuck in my head the other day for no particular reason. That's a weird song to get stuck in your head. Yeah, I know. I always liked it. It was it was a fun one to play. I just love the name. Anyway, the, the, there's like <laughs> yeah, a so whole. I got if I can find. It, I don't even know. I I would think that I still have it, but I have on a cassette somewhere. I have all the raw audio from Headseed. So oh. the end of time Ed actually has like five more minutes <laughs> of right. like the street noises and you guys kicking a can around for a while that's right and rob's we fucking just repeating penguins. the shit out of stuff and, on the street yeah <laughs> right see that that's what i, I re yeah i thought we were all out there for some reason i was, was asleep like okay <laughs> i passed out in the living room upstairs like as andrew was setting up the mic and everything on the street i fell i, I was out man and right you guys went down and did the vocals, just the main vocals, yeah. but then left. You still hung out on the street for like five more minutes after the end of the song. We ended up cutting a bunch of it. It's some of the conversation, I, I got to find it because some of it, it ends with Rob walking past the mic. And as he's walking past the mic, he's just like, fucking penguins. And and that's the last thing you hear. <laughs> and then everything, then it stopped. That was awesome. But you can, he actually, the mic was out there. He left it out. So throughout Time Ed, throughout the whole entire thing, if you listen to it in headphones, you hear cars that passing was the idea. by. And yeah, yeah, that was that was the point it's, somehow. It's constant throughout the whole entire song. He just let it run. So even in between the verses and stuff, you know, Rob would stop singing or you guys would stop singing and the mic was, he left open for the whole entire right. song. Thematically, there was no, no purpose for this whatsoever. I it did there, there was the the whole How? thing was because because you were singing about smack time ed and it was to have like this authentic like gritty urban street vibe it's it worked out kind of cool like if you That's listen not to what the, the song's about that makes no sense i i thought it was about a gritty urban street well, what wasn't it originally it? about a junkie? Yeah, yeah. that's what I yeah. thought. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he's <laughs> sitting on the street as the cars yeah. are going by. Right, right. Like in yeah. the drum break, you can really hear like the traffic, like at the start of it, you can hear the traffic and all this stuff go through. It's pretty cool. Well, I mean, I know we've told this story, or I have a million times, but like, I guess thematically, it might make more sense if I could ever find or hear or understand what the fucking last verse of the song was. <laughs> Um, but you know, in that, like right across from where we were doing the vocals was the mighty taco where I grabbed dinner from and wrote the final verse on the napkin that got thrown away <laughs> and nowhere else. And then listening back, it's just like, a, this is literally because we recorded the vocals outside and we did it in like one take, like nobody can understand what the hell it is. I'm saying, <laughs> <laughs> Not including myself. You. Yeah, including me. That, well, now, I, especially now, because I'm, you know, I'm so freaking deaf. Another yeah. cool aspect of that, I would assume both the albums, but de definitively Head Seat, is the amount of one takes that are that are on it. We didn't know any better, right? That's what I mean. There's nothing punched or 
very little punch there's zero when, comping at all all right no no we didn't know any of that stuff and i i'm sure andrew did but didn't want to deal with it <laughs> and, we also couldn't afford it yeah and we couldn't afford the time yeah or the tape you know we had two rolls of tape that was it there, there wasn't like a bunch of extra tape no mm -mm. no we used everything that we bought yeah i'm we, pretty sure it's two rolls because I, I i i mean i remember moving the stuff into the storage area or going in there recently and seeing these two massive because they were really big rolls yeah of which and also that stuff sounded so good because um like i would love to actually hear that on a good system the the actual Tape. the actual multi-track of that because yeah we each track when you when you're multi-tracking right i mean i'm not explaining this to you guys but i'm just explaining when you're multi-tracking on the tape it's like the wider the track is that the the, the head is touching the the better the sound is going to be so using the same size tape with 16 tracks versus 24 or 36 tracks uh i don't know if there were 36 tracks they, they like at least 24 tracks uh, on a 16 track you actually have better sound because it's fuller so yeah. it would be great to actually hear that stuff. i would love like, to hear and, those quarter inches and it's it's even better with 15. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't change the track size it just means like one unused track which we could go in and overdub some shit if we wanted to at some point on those takes uh, on those tapes if they weren't hopefully they're in good shape so uh commentary recording commentary we, we show up too like we had to wait for al to get out of work because al worked well, we all work yeah we all had to do that but Al worked like nights, didn't we? Start oh, at like right. ten o'clock yeah, so at night. Yeah, we started like late. Yeah, and Al had the late job, and mm -hmm. and the and the the shop downstairs had to be yeah yeah closed. That's right. That's why Mighty Taco was such a because it's the only thing open. It was still open till two thirty or three in the morning. So <laughs> yeah, that's the only reason we went there. Well, and it, you know, <laughs> and it was delicious and across the street. I remember that. I also one of the things I remember about recording Headseed is is I learned to play. Uh, I don't even know the name of the song. The lay around the shanty and put a good buzz on. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. I forget who did it. It's a uh, apparently at Rochester they play it at five o'clock every day when at the time when everybody got out of work it was you know I'm gonna sit down in the kitchen fix me something good to eat make myself a little high make the whole day complete because we gonna lay yeah. around the shanty mama and put a good buzz on. And used I used to play it in the forum. I learned, actually, yeah. But. I think that's where I got it from. And I learned the song. And then Chuck showed me the doodly 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 doot banner to end it. I, didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yes! <laughs> that's a perfect way to wrap up the show, right? Jim. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there's like more stuff we could. We did walk in with a. We did walk into the show with with an idea what we wanted to talk about and i it turns in you know like anything else it, it, we start reminiscing about the old days and it's it's hard to uh just turn that into like one time period or one <laughs> show i mean uh that whole time period so uh you know the, the the real details of the recording i think are just lost to posterity unless jim you know jim used to keep a notebook of <laughs> stupid shit that we would all do that was i didn't even keep it i think then. he didn't start that until we actually hit the road yeah 
Yeah, so I don't think we have anything great like that or or even any real notes. Maybe, you know, maybe if we opened up the actual uh, tapes, there might be some good notes in, in the boxes of the tapes. I do. Might, might be kind of fun to look at, but, you know, potentially it doesn't have anything in there either. The album work, the, the cover work, too, for both of those, which we have to mention, done by Coulter, except for Jerry and the Bra, which Chuck did, was awesome. And at the time, we thought they were awesome. But if you that's, look at the, the caricature, you know, Coulter did a caricature of each one of us in the the fat boy sleeve in the original yeah. cassette yeah that's right and then mine was I'm sure on, we you, paid him handsomely for that <laughs> <laughs> if you turn it around mine is on the back like i'm on like a little smaller inset oh that's right, right. yeah we add right because you were already in the band yeah. by the time we did that and so why would i would do that why would we do that yeah because i was because drumming by the time it was released i was the drummer right, because we hadn't released the cassette yet and jim was going to be in the band when we released it so i know I don't know. So why not and I was, credit for the recording? <laughs> no, just for being in the band. And we knew that was going to be our, our I thing. I think there's we actually doing. like an explanation, not a long explanation, but, it, you know, <laughs> now like new drummer kind of, because Ray's on it and he's credited yeah. and then I'm there and I'm wearing the, Colter drew me with the leather jacket that got stolen in Ohio. Oh, right. We'll save that for another podcast. <laughs> let's have, let's have a, a whole podcast dedicated to, us being robbed we can definitely do that <laughs> sadly being robbed so okay next podcast or at least one coming up mo getting robbed different stories about <laughs> when we were robbed and how and also um clubs we played at where there were um shootings or actually being threatened by people with guns personally we'll keep that we'll put that in in a uh to be continued folder yes. But um, I think we've definitely hit our full mark at this point. This might be our longest podcast yet. But Al's going to so, yeah, something I've to got, say about it? or you... I do, yeah. So I have one of the original J cards from the Fat Boy cassette. What is that? J <laughs> cards. And then, and then um, next to Jim's picture, uh, this is under all of the, the thank you section on the back. It said, Mo would especially like to thank Jim Lachlan for being our new drummer. And that's where he included your... Did you design that J card, Al, or was that something I did. I did. Yes, I did the layout at, at Kinko's. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And so, and then utilize, I think Chuck also did the, the Mo and the Fat Boy on this, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. You did that along with the Jerry. Yeah. Colton did all the illustrations. And then I put the whole thing together at Kinko's. Oh, Kinko's. I, I still have a couple of unused, unused ones from wow. back in the day. Yeah. Well, there you have it. There you have it, everybody. Episode seven is in the books. Good times. Good times. Times were had by all. It's fun to reminisce about this stuff. If, if nothing else, it just, you know, helps me to keep grounded and not completely sink into a world of dementia. You're welcome. I, I don't know how much of th this stuff is accurate either. You know, like <laughs> if somebody, if, if, if we, we might've just developed this sort of history over, um, you know, stories with each other complete, you know, slightly getting changed every time. And, you know, this is just how we've made ourselves remember history is told by the victors, right? So, so what, we, what happens with us? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so anybody else have anything else to say before we sign out? 
Thanks, folks. Uh, remember, uh, we are Mo. We had a great time. We thank you for your participation and listening to us and whatever else you've been doing for the band. Because I know in the past, we've just glided by on the love and uh, adoration of all the fans. <laughs> but thank you so much for uh, being part of this weird freaking trip that we're on. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just remember, no gig is confirmed until we are on stage playing. This has been Pod Crash, the original podcast by the members of the band Mo. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed it, tell a friend, leave a few stars and maybe a kind review. And hopefully by next week, I will have learned how to operate a mute button. See y'all next time. funds.